Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome to episode 550 of the Future Blocks to Creators. We have casual Q&A Friday today. The hat is back. I've got my default generosity t-shirt, which seems to be my go-to Friday t-shirt, apparently. Um, Barrett, how you doing today? I'm good. Um, I am technically taking the day off. You know, I, taking the day off. I do probably one vacation a year where it's like, okay, I fully delete everything from my phone, all yeah. the apps and everything, and like don't check in. There's just nowhere to go to do that kind of thing right now. So not working is still kind of like, uh, but if I check in, whatever. Uh, but I'm trying to be good about it. So anyways, I watched our creator session right before this with National Ge- Geographic photographer Shannon Wild. That was pretty awesome. And yeah, doing the podcast. And then this afternoon, I think I'm going to do some uh, some personal writing, some reading. Got yeah, like some partly cloudy, sunny weather over here. So I think I might be able to get a little little vitamin D production this afternoon. It's a good day. How you doing? I'm green. Uh, I'm green as well. Uh, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to, like, I want to switch from recording from Zoom and like posting there to using uh, Ecamm Live, which our buddy Pat Flynn gave a great video and rundown of how you should set up live streaming. He also told me to get this, which is like you can control fancy things. So I got that. I haven't set any of it up yet, but I'm going to do that. But I was like, oh, it's totally going to be the episode where we get this going and Nope, it's too complicated. I'll figure it out on Monday. So that like added just a hint of stress beforehand because basically my abilities um, were not up to par with my intentions. So hate it when that happens. But uh, we're gonna have have a good episode today. Again, as always, drop your questions in the chat. We'll get to those first. We got a few to get us started, but uh, happy to riff on any topic. I want to touch on a point you just made, which is the. Um this common experience that I just want everyone to know happens for everyone in this business, which is the experience of doing a thing that you're not going to have to do often. So it's like a, it's usually some kind of setup task. And so like setting up our audio equipment here was one of them, setting up a custom domain or a new email on your, on your website domain. These are other ones like that troubleshooting a little CSS issue on your website. If you're not typically coding websites, like you're just trying to get one thing done, or in this case, figuring out a new podcast setup. These are all situations that I have had the experience repeatedly. You end up in a Google search rabbit hole, trying to find exactly the step-by-step tutorial that will help you get it done. And then you end up troubleshooting for like hours and then finally it works and you have no idea why it works, but it works now. And it's like, okay, I'm glad I don't have to do that again tomorrow, but I got it done for now. And so I'm just going to let it go and move on. So anyways, if you have that kind of experience, I just want you to know that is quite common. Yes. Yes, it is. And I think it's one of those things that, well, it's weird, right? You want to have the experience of being outside your comfort zone which that is definitely outside your comfort zone. But then you get into these territories of like, okay, maybe it's setting up a custom domain or configuring DNS. Like, do you ever want that to be in your comfort zone? Like, I don't know. I mean, if if you're working in a really technical industry, as 
I've spent a lot of a lot of my career doing, then like, yes, I'm quite good at that. But like for a regular creator, it, it is, as Jessica just said in the chat, it's a one-off struggle. And so you kind of just name that for what it is and say like, look, I'm going to get through this. I'm not going to have to deal with this again and not make too big of a deal out of it. Yep. And I think the key is just not getting too worked up right in the middle there where you're, you're experiencing all of the difficulties. <laughs> Maybe don't do it on a time crunch. You know, yeah, exactly. Take some of that pressure off. Well, I want to start with a question uh, that we got from Miles Beckler, who's written in a few other questions before. And as you gave a shout out at the end of the day yesterday, or end of the show yesterday, uh, we launched a new homepage, one that we're ridiculously proud of. It really brings together all these different elements, right? Usually a homepage is like design code and copy. And that's what pretty much everybody puts into it. And we've been pushing so much for storytelling and photography and film and all that in addition to the design and copy that we finally got to actually put all of that together and launch this homepage that has links off to all these documentary stories about each creator, uh, has this incredible animation and everything else. And Miles asked the question of like, cool, how does it convert? How is it comparing to the other homepage? And I thought that was interesting because you end up in this territory of times where you want to check everything. And we're probably by default in the track everything camp that we sort of straddle straddle these two worlds. And then the other side is like, yes, but this is what I want to exist in the world. And so here it is. And so you think you end up in the scenario of like, well, if you just want that to exist, do you even track it? Maybe you just say like, yep, we're going with this no matter what. You know, it's it's hard to decide what to do. So I'll tell you what we did in this case and and you can weigh in more. Um, Charlie, our lead designer, on the marketing side, jumped in on Twitter and, and talked about it. But she just basically said that, no, we're not A-B testing, you know, homepage one against homepage two. But what we are doing is still tracking all the conversions so that we can know, it's not blind faith of like, we like this better, so we think it'll perform better. It's this mix of like, we're going with this long-term because it matches our ads, it matches the future of our brand, but we are going to be aware of how it's affecting conversions. And then we'll A-B test within variations of that. Anything you'd add, Barrett? No, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is just being able to discern between, is this a test that we're running for conversion or is this an embodiment of our vision that we're trying to to make true in the world? Right. I guess the, the framework I would give is if it's your vision, do the first version and then test versions of that, that like visionary piece, right? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say test functional, like leading with function versus leading with vision. Um, because that's like a, a place you want to occupy in the market. That's a decision you're making in terms of how you right. want to position yourself in the market. And we're saying we want to position ourselves as a mission-driven company serving creators. And we think that most creators actually make a social buying decision about what tool they use. And then once they've made the social buying decision, then they say, okay, well, can it do what I need it to do? Which is a really fascinating thing that we've seen play out over and over from big creators to small creators. Everyone looks at someone they respect and say, oh, they use that. I should go see if I should use that. And then they figure out, okay, what features does it have? And is it going to do everything I need it to do? And so we're just making a bet that we should appeal to that social decision-making process first. And then if you want to dig in on all the features, that's great. 
And so did we test between the old homepage and this one? No, and we don't plan to. But what we do plan to test is, can we change calls to action or order of the page or other things like that so that this version gets the highest conversion rates possible? That actually plays in really nicely to uh, Pierre's question. He says, I'd like to know Barrett Nathan's tips for increasing email opt-in rates. Mine's at 0.3. I'm assuming that's 0.3% and that's awful. Um, Though Pierre, if you want to clarify um, what that conversion rate is. So conversion rates are interesting because everyone thinks, they always ask, what's the conversion rate of the site? Ooh, what template are you using? What's it converting at? As if like the copy and the layout and the design were this magical thing that is all encompassing for conversion rates. And they matter. But if you were to just like lift someone else's site and then swap out your calls to action, it wouldn't convert well. In fact, it'd convert terribly. Because there's these other factors that really uh, come into play with conversion rates. And the first one is intent. What is, where was the person when they came to the site? We ran this test on our, I guess, like account signup flow at landingpage.new where you can build the landing page first and then create your account, which is pretty cool. And it converted terribly. And we're like, why is it converting? It should be converting better than this. And then we realized all the traffic that we were sending to it was like, hey, look at this shiny thing that we made. And they're like, cool, I'll look at that shiny thing that you made on my phone. Like, that is shiny, in fact. And then they'll leave because there was no intent from that, from those people to actually like create a landing page and start the next creative project. So of course the conversion rate was low. So that's something that we always want to point out. And then the other side is like, what's the actual product that you're selling? You know, and what's the brand perception of that product? Because if like, I don't know, we had a comedian, like I always think of uh, Louis CK because he's sold things directly to his audience. You know, if he's built up all of this uh, hype about his new special that he's going to sell and he's selling it for five or $10 straight to his audience. And then when he finally drops it and releases that, then he might have like an 80% conversion rate for that or a 50, like something completely insane. And uh, that's because the intent and the product and everything is all there and it, it doesn't matter. He could have sold it through, I don't know, eJunkie or some platform that's not going to have a great conversion rate. Um, anyway, so that's some context. Barrett, what are some things that you would do for email opt-in specifically? So I think you have to start at the highest level. Where are people coming from? You know, that's kind of the point you were just making. What is the intent of people visiting your site? Are they coming from search? Are they coming from links you post on social media? In other words, why are they there? Are they just kind of scoping you out? Are they there for a very specific reason? Intent really matters in terms of how you measure uh, the percentage of people converting to email. The second thing is you have to think about the degree to which you are matching their intent. So does your content deliver on the promise it's making for wherever they're coming from? So if they're coming from search or they're coming from social or wherever, is your content delivering on the promise of the headline or whatever you said, either in the search context or in the social context? And obviously there's other channels that people could come from. So basically, are you making great content? For the people that are coming to your site, are you making great content that resonates with them? Because that actually has a much bigger impact, I think, than your email form or where it is or whatever else. And so only if people's intent is to actually read or watch or listen to whatever it is that you're promoting on your site, and if you're delivering quality content, which can be hard to judge for yourself, so you may need some help with that, then I think you should start playing around with where are your forms? What's the copy on the forms? What are you offering? 
Within that context, I think you want to evaluate if they came here for this post, let's say it's a post about, I don't know, Portland Trailblazers basketball. Okay. Will the 2020 season uh, resume and will the Blazers have a playoff shot is the the article that they came to read. But you're offering uh, opt-in about the Phoenix Suns, which is a basketball team out of Phoenix. That is not aligned. And so now you've got a problem with why they came and a good piece of content that they came for and an opt-in that they don't want. Right. And so thinking about, and this is where we've talked about this a little bit before, but this is where people get into making specific opt-in incentives for specific posts. Mm -hmm. It can be really effective for conversion. It can be a real pain on the back end. And so I think what you really want to find is um, like in that NBA example, I was just sharing, maybe uh, like a complete guide to the 2020 playoffs. If the season resumes would be good for anyone that's a fan of any team, because they're just going to read about gen- generic NBA playoff stuff. Right. And that fits everyone. So sometimes you want to find the lowest common denominator. Sometimes you want to go really specific to get people to convert. Um, and so alignment between the content and what you're offering them in exchange for their email address matters. And then I get into little bits like what's the copy, the specific call to action, what's on your button, what color is it, where does the form exist and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think that's so good because it's like, I would almost ask, well, what's your reputation? Mm-hmm. And if like reputation, they've never been to the site before. I don't have a reputation. It's like, well, that's part of it. You know, or if it's like, well, my reputation is that I just delivered an incredible piece of content for free. And now I'm at, I'm going to give them more content trade for an email address. It's like, okay, that that's a good trade-off. But if it's just like, here's some mediocre content and here is a call to action to si- sign up for a vague newsletter. Yeah. It's not going to, not going to get very, very far. A uh, quick one. What kind of glasses do I wear? Warby Parker's next one, Ryan Delk. <laughs> hey Ryan. <laughs> uh, had so many folks reach out to me in the past few weeks about starting their creative project they've been sitting on forever. What one thing do you wish you knew when you were in that position? Well, at first, it's interesting, right, of having so many people reach out because I think that is totally true. Of We've had, uh, you know, many years worth of change happen in a handful of weeks. And so if you're in that position of like, you know, being a successful creator, then of course, so many friends are going to look to you and be like, Hi, <laughs> what should I do? I've been thinking about this thing. What's your advice? Bear, where would you start? I think the first thing, like thinking about a brand new project, uh, we say this repeatedly, I'm going to say it again. It's going to take a long time for it to make you any meaningful amount of money. And so if you're getting into this just for money, there are faster ways to make money. If you're getting into this because you have a creative project that you really care about, then okay, cool, let's talk. It's going to take a long time, but it's worth it, I think. The second thing is, you have to be really specific early in an uncomfortable way. You know, your value proposition has to be razor thin, just like I'm only doing this for this very small group of people. And it's all, every time I talk to someone, it's like, you know, personal development advice for people from 20 to 60. It's like, okay, I mean, you can try. I'm just letting you know, it's going to be really hard to break through the noise on that. Unless yeah. you're like a really well-known philosopher who's got three best-selling books already and now you're taking that online, it's just not a good choice. Like getting specific would be the second thing. And I was I was always uncomfortable with it. You know, I didn't want to be that Me specific. Too. And then the last thing is, if you're trying to make a business out of your creative project, even if it's just for a side hustle kind of thing, you're just trying to make a little bit of cash on the side. I would move as fast as possible to figure out how I'm going to make money. 
because it's really, really easy to get caught up in the content hamster wheel. Just never get around to making a product or understanding how money comes out of this thing that you're investing in. And so even if that's just Patreon to support your writing or your videos or your music or whatever together or uh, from the outset, just for what it is, fine, do that. Uh, and then build for people to pay you for that. But don't wait too long to figure out how you're going to make money if that's the intent of the project. Those would be kind of my three tips. Yeah, I like it. I think the only thing that I'd add, which is something that's been on my mind lately, is that all these people that you look up to, you know, whether it's, um, say you want to start a podcast and you're looking up to Tim Ferriss or you're looking up to us or, you know, whoever it is, I would try to like understand and internalize that there's nothing special about those people. Like I'm not some incredible writer. Barrett's certainly not some incredible podcast host. Tim Ferriss is not an incredible interviewer. Like it's, he has one of the most popular interview shows, but it's not because he's the um, Charlie Rose of interviews. It's because he's done it for a very long time. He's built a unique network and he's good at promotion. And so when I think about that, I think you could actually set your sights higher. We initially have this idea of like, okay, I'm just trying to get to this this basic level of income where I'm just trying to get to these hundred email subscribers. And it's really important to have that goal right then. But I would also say, okay, and if I stick at this for a decade, then I could be on this level, you know, and I could, could function that way. So basically just telling yourself and really internalizing that it's not that people have this rare gift that um, you don't have. It's that they're sticking with it for a long time. They're continually improving. And so it's a lot of like James Clear talks about of 1% better every day of that continuous improvement over a very long period of time is what gets you there. Yep. Yep. I think so. Just knowing that you're going to have to keep showing up. Um, and so pick something that you want to keep showing up to. Yeah. Okay. Emily asks, what do you look for when you make that first hire full-time part-timer contract? And what do you wish you knew when you were making those early hires? Oh gosh, I have so much hiring advice. Um, okay. The first thing with a hire I think it's really common for, well, for anyone who hasn't hired a lot of people before, but especially for creators to not be specific about what you're looking mm -hmm. for. It's like, I need help. I'm going to hire someone. Okay, great. But don't post a job posting yet. Let's take a step back. What do you need help with? And I think that starts with how do you spend your time and comparing that to how you want to spend your time. So what I would recommend before you make any hire is maybe for 30 days, tracking where your time goes throughout the week, your work time and thinking and writing them in and then dividing them into categories, things I want to be doing, things I don't want to be doing. When you get the list of things you don't want to be doing, those are the things to hire for normally. I will say one caveat. The other mistake a lot of creators make is they hire non-revenue generating employees. What I mean by that is if your employee should either be making it so that you can focus on things that make you more money and spend less time doing the other stuff, or it, that person should be making you money while you do the stuff that you want to do. If they're not doing one of those things, one day you're going to wake up and realize, man, I'm spending a lot of money in my business. I don't think it's any better than it was before. And this has happened to so many friends. They, they hire a whole team of people and then they realize, man, I don't think any of these people make me any money. I'm making the same amount of revenue and I'm paying a lot of people a lot more money and I'm making less money, even though I have a team. So being specific about what you're hiring for, 
hiring for a thing that either allows you to do the thing, more of the things that make you money or hiring them into a role that makes you money. So what does that look like? I think is a really important question. There's two things I would think about. One would be someone to promote your work. So maybe you want to be purely an artist, right? More of like a creative artist on that end of the creator spectrum. And all you want to do is make art of some kind, music, paintings, films, Many artists don't like promoting their stuff because it makes them really uncomfortable. It makes them feel like they're selling out, you know, whatever. Number one, I think you should get over that. And I think you should learn to sell your stuff, even if you're going to hire someone to sell it for you later. But two, that's a perfect situation for someone to come in and say, your art is incredible. I would love to promote this because number one, the world needs more of it. And number two, I see the value in it. And so that would be someone like um, running your email system, running your social media accounts, um, doing direct outreach to people that might enjoy your work, um, really focusing on areas where they can amplify the stuff that you're already making, I think can be a really valuable hire. I think the tendency a lot of people have is to hire someone that's just like a catch-all, just do Mm -hmm. all of this stuff over here. And then you don't end up doing anything else to make yourself more money. And they're sure as hell not making you any more money. And so like, just avoid that, avoid the catch all role. That's just kind of this generic, do some stuff over here that I've been doing. Yeah. I like it. Nothing that I would add. I think that's good. Um, Pierre's got a question. Uh, Gumroad has an option to let people pay what you want for your products instead of a fixed price. In what situations would you recommend that? Uh, So first a little bit of context. Basically you can set any price you want. It could be, um, with a minimum or without, it could be, you know, pay whatever sounds fair, pay whatever sounds fair with a minimum of five bucks or 10 bucks. Um, and so you can do that. This is a feature that I think was really interesting when it rolled out. And I have actually, I have to think about this. I would make a true statement. I have actually never used it to my knowledge of recollection because I could not find a time that I believe for my business, it was better than being clear about this is the value that I'm delivering. And this is the price. Now, what I have done is gone to multiple packages so that, you know, people can buy a different version depending on uh, their budget, you know, and their needs. So Barrett, I'm curious what you would say here, but I have not found a time where I actually think pay what you want is like a, a good business decision. I think it can be fun as a social experiment but I can't actually think of a time that I'd use it in my business. A lot of times I see creators do this when they feel guilty for charging money. I think it's worth digging in on why you feel guilty for charging money, first of all. Um, I'm not accusing you of that, Pierre. I'm just suggesting that that is a trend that I've seen. The second thing is, I think it's really helpful to get clear on what your goal is. Is is your goal to earn money or is your goal to spread an idea? Um, This is a a thing that Seth Godin talks about all the time. The best way to spread an idea is to make it free and then make it spreadable. And so if you're trying to spread ideas, spread a philosophy, spread a piece of work as far and wide as you can get it, it should be free. And then you should focus on getting as many eyeballs on it as possible. If you're trying to focus on earning a living, being a creator, then you need to charge money for what you make and it needs to be valuable enough for people to pay you for it. The problem with pay what you want it's really easy to trick yourself about what it's telling you when people buy the thing. Many times you're not getting a true read on whether it's valuable enough for people to pay for it. You're just getting a read on like, 
what's the least or what's the most amount of money someone was willing to risk to see if it was an okay product? That's kind of like the data you're getting back. And I think there's something really valuable about finding out whether people will pay you X dollars for Y thing, because then you know, have you, have you hit on something that really fits the market that you're trying to serve? Beyond that though, um, it's a math equation, whether you can earn a living as a creator. And if you have a $99 product and you need to earn $5,000 a month, you need to sell 50 products a month to earn a living, period, the end. If you have pay what you want, you need to sell an unknown number of things to earn a living. And I think that's a lot harder to plan for unless you've got a really big audience where you know it doesn't matter what you charge because enough of them will buy it at a price that works and so you're fine. Yeah, I think that totally makes sense. That's a really good framework of just always asking yourself with each project, am I trying to spread ideas or grow my reach or am I trying to earn a living? And there's very few that do both. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you can try and think of an example, but, um, like put it in one of those two categories, it makes it so much more clear as far as your copy, your promotion strategy and everything else. Yep. All right. Last question. Yep. Let's go with the last question. Uh, from Noah, he says, say you announce a project to your audience, then it stops being a good idea. Do you have any advice on whether to cancel a project or how to inform your audience about the cancellation? I've actually, everything that I've announced has been a good idea. So this has <laughs> personally never happened to me. Um, particularly not in like either slightly or terribly painful ways. Um, all right. I kid. <laughs> There's this thing that happens to all creators of like, here's a great idea. I'm going to work on it. Let me announce it. Let me go. And then like you get an hour, a day, a week or a month into it, some period of time. And like the motivation, the momentum goes away. And you're like, why am I doing this? Why did I think that this was a good idea? And so it's just first, I would say, know that it's common. Everybody's been there. The other thing that I would say is when you decide to shut it down, just uh, handle that in public. Just talk about it. I think uh, I've seen some really popular blog posts that are why I shut down my startup, why I closed this idea, why this is the last post on this site. And everyone wants to know the authentic journey. And so when you're like, how I made X dollars being so amazing as I am, people are like, okay, that's one thing. But if you share a journey of like an authentic struggle that they can relate to, which closing down a project is a very authentic struggle, then people are going to want, want to read that. And so it'll make them be more of a fan of you and your work. So I, I would just say, do it in public, do it with humility, uh, and then just be blunt and honest about it. Yeah. A couple of thoughts here. If you struggle with this, I would recommend something. Make the project and then announce it. It's the first thing. I think a lot of creators, well, it's, it is uh, data-driven true that psychologically we get most of the same fulfillment by saying we're going to do a thing publicly as we do actually following through. Yeah. And so one problem with announcing a project is that it releases all of that pent-up excitement and you get the responses from people that you're looking for because they're like, oh, that sounds so cool and whatever else. And, or you don't get any responses and you're like, oh, it was a bad idea. I think you gain very little except for one exception, which I'll highlight in a minute. You gain very little from announcing a project before you're ready to actually promote it. The second thing is sometimes people are able to use that as motivation. I think Nathan is an example of this because Nathan wants to follow through on what he said he's going to do him saying it out loud means he's more likely to do it. 
I think that is the exception to the rule. And so if you know that about yourself, that the, you like the pressure of that, great. Use it as a tool, make it so that um, you now have the social pressure to get it done. This question hints that that's not how it is for you. So I would make it first, then announce it. And the second thing is um, you need to be really intellectually honest with yourself about whether it's no longer a good idea or if you're no longer excited about the stage of the project that you're in. Oh, yeah. Because those are two very different things. And my experience with this is that I'll get into the hard part of a project and it's like, ah, this is hard. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And that's exactly when you should be pushing through. Because on the other side is where you find out if it was worth it. But you can't know whether the investment is worth it when you're right in the middle at the hard part. Everything right. in you is going to be telling you it's not worth it. And you're lying to yourself because we don't like to do hard work as humans. It's just like we have a, we have to really train ourselves to work hard and get on the other side of things. So I would encourage you that if you've announced it, just get it to the finish line. Unless you have very clear data that unequivocally says this was a bad idea, I would go, I would push it to the end and then see the actual response from your audience rather than judging it before it's done. Yeah, I love that. Um, I have a little bit of a framework, maybe we can end on this point, of when to shut something down or double down. And this is basically how I came to with ConvertKit. So I even say those projects that you're like, I don't know if I should do this. I think it's time to shut it down. And a lot of people are like, cool, if you're not into it anymore, yeah, shut it down, let's move on. You know, only work when you're inspired or something. I don't know what people say. Um, if I followed that advice, ConvertKit would not exist today. It would have got to 1500 in MRR and it would have disappeared. So there's this blog post that I wrote. Uh, it's at nathanberry.com slash quit. I'll pull it up. And it is just titled knowing when to quit. And basically I have this framework in here uh, of two questions. So should you shut down a failing product? Um, so basically the first question is, do you still want this as much as you did the day that you started. So like today, do I still want to do this as much as when I started? If the answer is no, then it's like, okay. If I'm if I'm not excited about the outcome anymore, then I can move on from it. But if it's like, yes, I still want it, but it's hard, then it's like, okay, proceed to the next question. And the next question is, have you given this every possible chance to succeed? And so for me with ConvertKit, I could have easily gone to gone back to writing books and just blogging, um, you know, continue to build a really successful audience. But I thought, no, I want to the next challenge. I still want to run a SaaS company more today than, you know, the day that I started today being, what would that be five years ago, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so then the next question is like, okay, have you given this every possible chance to succeed? And that's the, well, no, I built it on momentum and then I got to the hard part and then I kind of stopped working on it. And so then it's like, well, no, then there's a disconnect between what you say you want and what the work that you're willing to do. And you could either choose to be the kind of person who says like, look, that, that's hard. I'm going to move on from it. Or you can choose to be the kind of person who says, I'm going to give this my best shot so that later on a year from now or whenever, if it still fails, I know that I've left everything on the field. And then the other category is like, yes, I truly have given it every chance to succeed. My best possible effort, it hasn't worked. Maybe there's plenty of other things that are outside of my control. And it's like, okay, then in good conscience, you can shut it down because you gave it your best. There's all kinds of endeavors, uh, creative endeavors, sports, projects, everything, where sometimes when you give it your best, that's actually not enough to make it successful. And when you go through that process, you can have peace with that decision. I love it. Um, I want to highlight one 
key thing that you said right at the beginning of, are you still excited or enthusiastic about the project? I would differentiate between, do you still want the outcome that you're aiming for versus are you excited about the work in front of you right this moment? Mm -hmm. And I think you're talking about the outcome. Are you still excited about the reason you got into this thing to begin with, not the next task right in front of you? Exactly. I don't have any creators today. I don't have any resources today. It's casual Q&A Friday. So I think we're going to wrap it up right here. Sounds good. Everyone, thanks for listening. We will not see you on Monday. We will see you on Tuesday. See you around. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today. Yeah.